Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihil kareem. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the noble prophet, peace be upon him. Continue our exploration of Surah 4. Where we left off, our exciting cliffhanger was about this question of, hey, Crossy, you're still in class. Wait, are you in the hospital right now? Or are you actually? No, assalamu alaikum. No, we're uh, awaiting still. Keep us in your duas. Okay, please. inshallah. Inshallah. The clock is ticking. Yeah, right. <laughs> Before the family expansion, inshallah, happens. Inshallah. So, yeah. So, uh, so the question of the salvation or damnation of non-Muslims. Majority opinion is that non-Muslims will not go to paradise. Minority opinion is non-Muslims may go to paradise. Where everybody agrees, however, is that Allah is going to treat everyone. Allah is going to judge, assess everyone fairly. So no one's going to go to hell unless they deserve it. Now, part of the arguments are that the school that says... No, non-Muslims cannot go to paradise. The argument is that because everybody has fitrah, everyone is born on fitrah, where you innately have a connection with Allah, you innately know right from wrong, even without being taught, that on top of that, every year, maybe a few times, the door to turn to Allah opens for you. It could happen because someone's calling you to Allah. It could happen because you have some moment where as a reflex you turn to Allah. It could happen because you're just thinking and then you start thinking about God. That this happens for everybody once or twice a year. And thus, if you, and the longer you are alive, the likelihood that you have kafirified yourself increases. What is a kafir in the Quranic lens? Someone who feels compelled to turn to Allah and they suppress it. So that is the argument of the people who say, no, non-Muslims cannot go to paradise. The argument of the other side, part of it is that your fitrah can be so buried that you truly do not know. And so then it would not be fair for Allah to send you to hell. But where we left off, we also made this point that out of a thousand people, statistically, one person will be going to paradise. So any further thoughts, reflections on all this? What we're doing is sort of an exercise in theology. Uh, Rossi or Ahant, whoever it is that is choosing to raise your hand over there. So um, I've asked you this uh, before that thing in past like uh, uh, this uh, Ramadan uh, classes. Then you said that you didn't uh, 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 know the answer at that point. And I'm I'm wondering if you know now. I asked you in in terms of uh, today's like day and age, if you don't believe in the the finality of our Rasul, uh, uh, right? Do you, do you, you know, uh, you know, 
you know, are you like salvated? Like, are you, are you forgiven? Uh, the word is probably saved, not salvated, but uh, salvated right, is probably yeah. condition of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm probably still at the same place I was whenever it was you asking this question that rejection of the prophet or the prophet. So it's not the same as not knowing. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is yeah, it because ahead. I know that that uh, in some of the works of Al of Al Ghazali, he was of the the opinion that you know, the, the correct me if I'm wrong, is that is that people who didn't uh, get the uh, uh, the right transmittance of the, the religion, if it was corrupted by either experience or or wrongful information, or they're they're acting out of out of ignorance. They would not uh, be held uh, accountable. So I guess my question to you is, you know, how much of the non-Muslim population today have a corrupted view of the Messenger, and like, will they be held accountable? So if we rephrase it, will they be held uh, judged fairly? Then the answer is yes. Uh, held accountable is. Um, uh, harder because that's that's putting a specific lens on it. Like you know, are they going to get punished? Uh, what percentage of non-Muslims in the world today have a corrupted understanding of the Prophet peace be upon him? I'd say probably about ninety-nine percent. Uh, I'd say the vast majority of Muslim of non-Muslims have a corrupted understanding of the Prophet peace be upon him. And then those who don't even know the basic beliefs of Islam. Uh, that's still probably a good fifty to eighty percent of the world. What do you think, Ahant? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I that agree. And uh, what's even scarier, I think you mentioned this before, even a huge percentage of 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 Muslims might even have the wrong perception of the Prophet. Oh, totally. <laughs> or a very, very. I mean, the common way we teach the the, the prophet peace be upon him in American Islam is reducing him to a to when we're calling him a messenger, we're reducing him to a mailman. He has received the Quran and now he's delivering it to us. But you have to look at it as though the Quran is being deposited deposited, and I'm adding all kinds of syllables to words within him, and then he's reciting what he's received, but he's also transforming him himself. That you cannot separate the Quran from the Prophet, peace be upon him. On a shelf, you can, but the Quran is actually part of the Prophet. In and so, what's the analogy? So, a point at the I don't remember if it was in this class or in the five o'clock class. On the first day of class, I said that the first the first recipient of the Quran, first intended audience of the Quran, is the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then, when you when you're watching, when you're reading a story, watching a movie. You are embodying the main character. And the more the main character is like you, the more you're in the story. But whatever the hero is of the main character, you're looking at the movie through that person's eyes. And so if you understand that point, then you understand that when the prophet, peace be upon him, is receiving the ayat, and he's receiving the ayahs of Moses, peace be upon him, it's not just a story of Moses, it's Moses as is relevant to the prophet, peace be upon him. Noah, as is relevant to the Prophet, peace be upon him. So what is the relevance of Maryam, alayhi salam, to the Prophet, peace be upon him? That one is this deep faith from childhood, which we usually don't talk about, 
But then on top of that, Isa comes through her. And what is among the titles we give to Isa One is that he's the word. So it would be like saying Maryam is to Isa, you know, peace be upon them both, as the prophet, peace be upon him, is to the Quran. That the Quran is a piece, for lack of a better term, of the prophet, peace be upon him, in the way a child is a piece of the mother. Make sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I heard someone say, you know, you know, they don't stop talking after this. I heard uh, someone say that uh, uh, that this is not a theocratic religion. This is a prophetocratic religion. And what does that mean? Uh, that, that sounds uh, like Dr. Omar. Was that Dr. Omar saying that? Mashallah. No, it, it wasn't. It was. Okay, okay. It was. It's totally sure. I mean, it's, yeah, that's a shake of comment. But uh, okay. I just, I think, uh, to me, uh, when he said that, uh, that means that uh, exactly what you said. You know, like we're not just uh, like delineating the prophet to a mailman. He's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, we have to love the in the like entirety of his, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. of his human institution. So. Yeah. Uh, one of the points we discussed all the way back when we were discussing the first ayah, when we spoke about the lineage of all of us going back from the original, uh, that doesn't necessarily correspond with the uh, order of creation. That one belief is that the prophet peace on was the first of creation, which I think is a very fascinating uh, concept to explore. And then on top of that, another concept is that the entirety of the universe was created to help us in the appreciation of Allah's creating of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So yeah, so the point being is that we, in our contemporary teaching of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we reduce him to almost like the absolute minimum. Part of it is probably an an allergy to Christianity, that the fear is that we're going to start worshiping him, but you don't see people worshiping the Prophet, peace be upon him. And and so... uh, so the basic principle is that so long as you regard him as the creation of Allah, elevate him as high as your imagine, imagination can go. And you will not reach Allah, and you will also probably not reach the magnificence of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Sabrine. Um, this kind of bounces off his question of what happens like when you are raised in a home that is Muslim but isn't taught like you know mm-hmm. the strict families or like sure. to the point where you have kids like just running away from islam or well everyone's gonna be judged fairly so i had a student uh, a couple hours ago <clears throat> who is eastern european raised in a muslim household but neither of her parents are religious and and so she kind of had to find her way into islam on her own part of it was just feeling the need to find Islam and part of it is feeling the need to fill some other things within her. Um, And it's a very big struggle for her. Her parents don't oppose her Islam. They even praise her, but they don't pray themselves. And I don't think they fast themselves either. Right. But then you'll have other cases, you know, that are my job security, which are those parents that are tyrants. And, and so then the kids want to completely run away from everything associated with their parents and and Allah will treat everybody fairly, including the parents. So, 
yeah, that's a that's a a, a big big thing. Any so other, we, yeah, go ahead. So would you say that um, those kids eventually may get like a yearning in order to where they'll get called back? The hope is exactly for that, and it depends upon how severely their spirituality has been damaged. So, for example, uh, I don't think we did it in this class. Um, uh, no. So one point in the other class, and I'll draw it here so everybody can see, which is related to all of this, is that in nurturing a person, whether it's in the capacity of a parent, a mentor, teacher, sheikh, etc., you have the person, and then you have these parts of the person, hopefully it'll start appearing on the screen, body, mind, or to those of you in the five o'clock class will probably remember this and hopefully it'll appear on the screen in a moment here it comes and so so these are the parts and then each one is a type of intellect so the body is your sensory intellect your sensual intellect your mind is your rational and the heart is your intuitive intellect and i say that more because of a lack of a better term and then each one of these has a need the need of the mind or the need of the body is contact so for example you know with your martial little kids your kids need to be hugged and they need to sensually experience the world right they need contact physical contact the need of the mind we have a word for this curiosity the need is knowledge and the need of the heart is intimacy and intimacy here is special access so imagine the unique relationship of two friends so i don't remember if it was in this class i was talking uh i have a you know i'm thinking of one specific friend that i've known since age seven literally the first day of sunday school we met and he's long since moved to the east coast so we talk to each other once every eight months give or take and we see each other once every three years give or take but when we see each other it's like we haven't been apart and we just start cracking up we start laughing hysterically i mean imagine how goofy i am with all of you multiply that by like 20 and you'll you see what i am like with with uh, with him that's the type of intimacy the special axis you can have intimacy even not with a person but with a location like you know when you go back to a location where you lived at for a long time but the true satisfaction true for each of these realms is physical connection with a law which you can't have in this world you can have on the other side where we can see a law as clear as we can see a full moon on a clear sky uh knowledge of a law and intimacy with a law and so the common approach in our modern sunday school is to destroy a kid's curiosity and that is a type of theological violence so when your kid is asking you 50 trillion questions and you don't know and you're sick of all the questions that they're asking then 
you still have to figure out how to nurture their questions. Uh, but Sunday school teaches what? Don't question, right? And so the end result is that the child is being taught that asking questions, that exploring is bad in terms of Dean, which is 100% wrong. And so the end result is that that part of them gets shut down. And then on top of that, in our contemporary culture, <clears throat> we don't look at the heart as a realm of intellect. We look at the heart as a realm of, of passion and emotion. So then the heart experiences the equivalent of atrophy. And so already the common kid is being raised spiritually crippled. And that's, I'm saying, for just about every kid being raised, at least uh, in America, perhaps, you know, in much of, uh, you know, schooling, Islamic religious schooling across the globe. And so that is speaking even of, of families where things are generally healthy. Make sense? So, Ahant. Assalamu alaikum, Jesus Rossi. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Do you feel like kicks going on? Yeah, it's... I think I'm, not, I'm, I'm not talking about it? when you kick Ahant. I'm talking about like the baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I have a question that like, you know, like we always have like this discussion, um, you always say like, you know, like when you're struggling with your faith, technically pay close attention to your relationship with your uh, parents, right? Yes. How we view, Allah is oftentimes influenced by like how we feel our parents and then how we view, um, Allah can affect like how we view our lives. Yes. Um, so you will see like two people will kind of like similar experience where like both of them kind of like have traumatized by their parents or like just grew up in a very um an islamic like household or like just non-muslim household but like like with hats you know like having hats with guts or whatever is that um but then the the outcome is just different one is to draw them closer to allah and then the other one just got drip away from Allah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you said like what makes it different is just Taufik, right? Mm -hmm. So technically we don't have any like kind of like control over it. Mm. Like you think that like there is some type of way that we can achieve like the Taufik. Mm. So I'm cautious against jumping that far when we speak about ourselves. Uh, when we speak about other people, then it's back to that point that for, as far as we can gather, other people are pre-written. And, and so you have two twins, both raised by the same parent. One gets close to Allah, one turns away from Allah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that seems to be from our perspective what was written for them. But it could be that this person who went closer to Allah, they had some specific triggers leading them to Allah or attracting them to Allah, and this person might have had the opposite. You know, like, for example, even my own self, looking at the uh, circles that I was raised in, uh, why is it that I went in this direction in theory towards deen, Allah will be the judge, inshallah, he'll judge mercifully, versus so many people that I grew up with that went in the opposite direction, and the best answer I can give, which is probably the most accurate answer, is probably my parents' prayers for me. 
as opposed to anything that I did. And it could be that the cause, the answer to my parents' prayers was that I was put into settings, you know, where either people were calling me to turn to Allah or I felt compelled to turn to Allah. And so this is the point to think about anytime a, a parent does not pray, that means they're not praying for their children. And to make it a point further, even if someone is not yet a parent, uh, and if they're not praying, then they're also not praying not only for their future children, they're not praying for any of their descendants. And that's why I encourage everyone in all of your prayers to pray uh, for all of your descendants. Because another possibility could be, why did I take this route? Or why did my parents take the route of Dean? Could be somebody in their ancestry, if not their parents, somebody in their ancestry prayed for all of us. And, and a way that Allah answers the prayers, it doesn't mean that he's going to turn my heart if someone else, if my, let's say my mom is praying for me to be guided, it doesn't mean that Allah is going to turn my heart, but the answer would be whenever she's praying for me, Allah is putting things, making it easy for me to turn to Allah. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Chillin. Hurram. So uh, regarding the point uh, we were talking about uh, that uh, like um, out of 1,000 people, 999 will go to hell or, or the point is that uh, why people are in this modern day and age they don't uh, or non-muslims do not understand prophet or or they have not learned about the islam properly um uh, one of the thing that is 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 the is the knowledge and pursuit of knowledge itself and yeah. and the knowledge which is good actually so so i, I think there was uh, ibn taymiyyah or his one or his students he was talking about the love of allah and and lo uh, love of Allah by pursuing through the love of knowledge, and so there are two types of knowledge: knowledge that is good and knowledge that is bad. Yeah. So so you can pursue either of the knowledge, and 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 he says that if the knowledge is good, even you don't know God, but you have a love of good knowledge, you may end up knowing God. Maybe that makes sense. Uh, yeah. So so and then the the problem with the modern day uh, or modernity is that. That there's a lot of bad knowledge and people are very uh, also in pursuit of bad knowledge that is also a sort of i think that last part is probably true for every era um it's just that there's more available now uh, i'd say for every era you have knowledge that directs you to allah knowledge that directs you away from allah what do you think well it's it's more easily available though definitely like through internet yeah. right Oh, no doubt. Yeah. And and in the quantities uh, and cons consumption and quantities more available now. Mm -hmm. That totally agreed. Yeah. And uh, much of the Islamic nonsense, uh, Islamic knowledge that's available online is, is a bunch of nonsense. Right. It's a daily thing where students will come to me and say, I heard on TikTok such and such and such happened uh, today as well. Right. And and 90% of that is just absolute rubbish. Shayla. So I don't know that I would use the word um, that there's knowledge that drives us away from Allah. Um, I would use it maybe the word information, sure. but I don't know that we can call it knowledge, right? Yeah. If it's in, in not factual. Yeah, uh, that works. Yeah. Okay, so going further in this one issue, the starting point of the discussion is that if you avoid the major sins, 
we will forgive your smallers, okay, and cause you enter into to enter into honor uh, honorable. The bigger discussion that we branched from there was basically the potential lack of salvation of of so many people. Another point to add to this is the responsibility of the witness. And the witness, and it will show up here on the screen any moment now. Three, two, one. Ding. No, I'm still not yet. I try to use Daisy song, it didn't work. How about Bollywood? Nope, still, but it'll appear any moment on the screen. So the witness here is basically you and I. One of the scary possibilities of the Day of Judgment is that such and such non-Muslim can say, yeah, I knew Omar. Omar never taught me any of this. And so one of the questions then becomes, what is the level of responsibility that each and every one of us has to the people that we know, especially secondarily to the people we come across in terms of giving the message to them? This does not mean that you walk up to your coworker and say, hello, my colleague, have you understood Alif Lami? No, it's not going to be something like that. Usually the best da'wah anyway is upright character as opposed to anything that you say. But, you know, there's, there's, uh, I don't have an answer for this. That, is it possible that we might be held to account for all the people we have come across that we did not call or more than that all the people in our world with whom we have a relationship that we did not call now call doesn't necessarily mean you should become muslim but call means at least to make sure they understand the basic theology beyond that it's between them and allah so let me give you a scenario first yes no maybe most of you are going to vote maybe so this is not a democratic vote. How many of you would say, yes, non-Muslims can go to paradise? I mean, only Allah knows the answer. Nobody knows the answer except for Allah. How, how should we do this vote? Does anyone know how many people are paying attention? Danny says yes. Shayla says yes. Anybody else says yes? Anyone else? Adnan says yes. Bassett says yes. Marwa says yes. Okay. Then how many people say no? How many people are brave enough to say no? Zishan's a maybe. Okay. Nobody wants to say no? You're not going to get trounced on in this class. I mean, look at all the things we've explored. Shahir's a maybe. Shahir, are you really a maybe or are you a no? Okay. Ahan's a maybe. All right. Shahir's close. Closer to no. Okay. That's the theological, theological, aka abstract. Because thankfully, none of us have to be the judges. MK is saying no. Okay, trying to make it fun. Uh, and so, whatever your answer is, yes, no, maybe. What is the practical? The practical. Let me give you an analogy, and that'll bring us back to this. 
and some of you know this from other classes, suppose you're walking down this, a busy street and you see a van. Let's make it even more exciting. You see an 18-wheeler truck out of control. And you glance and you look and you can tell it's on course to hitting these people that are right in front of you. Instinctively, what do you do? Anyone? I'd Zana, yell out. Or Dania. <laughs> I'd yell, watch out. Okay, you'd yell, watch out. Yeah. Zana, what you Maybe even push them out of the way. Now you're basically yelling them so they don't get hit, right? You're pushing them so they don't get hit. Correct. Zana, <laughs> yeah. Zana, what do you do? So I'm behind them and the truck is coming towards all of us. So basically, uh, let's say you're on the sidewalk, they're crossing the street, and you're seeing the truck is out of control, but they're they're like three feet in front of you. I feel like, to be honest, my basic instinct is to protect myself, and then once I know that I'm okay, then, you know, kind of try to save everyone else. Okay. What would you do to protect yourself? I would make sure I'm not on course okay. on so where the truck is going. So you're out of the way, and then what would you yeah. do? I would just yell. Okay. Anyone else? Would any of you say, whoa, good thing I'm not the one getting hit by the truck? No. And so, hey, Daniel, you're about to say something? Or not? So, I'm so sorry. I had that on. Um, I didn't have myself on mute. My bad. Oh, it's all good. Okay. So, so the basic point being that instinctively, out of your humanity, you will try to do whatever you can in that split second to get them out of the way. Maybe you'll yell, maybe you'll push them, maybe you'll pull them, potentially even at the slight risk of your life, maybe. Right? You might freeze because the moment is too frightening. Uh, but more than likely, you will not think, good, better you than me. Now, if I truly believe such and such person is going to go to hell, hell is far worse than getting hit by a van. If I truly believe such and such person or persons are going to go to hell and I'm not doing something about it, the practical result is that I've lost my humanity in there somewhere. Because in the case of the prophet, peace be upon him, he is literally begging people to embrace his message because he knew what would happen to them. For them, if you're not embracing Islam, you're a kafir, right? You're receiving the Quran in your language by the best possible caller that you've already known your whole life, to be completely honest. So it'll be a little bit different for us, someone not embracing the message from me. And so he's literally begging people. So the abstract would just be essentially your reasoning. Can someone go to heaven or hell? And it's basically abstract, almost antiseptic, inhuman reasoning. And then the practical is a question of what is the level of your humanity? If I even say maybe, I'm still believing I have something better than what they have.
in the same way that, all right, here's the fad diet I'm doing. It works so great. I tell everybody about it. Here, I got this, this car that is fantastic. I tell everybody about it, hoping that they can get something better too, right? Even I have a wonderful pen. You all should do this pen. So the dean is something even bigger. Oh. That also applies to a yes too. If I truly believe that my dean is better than what everybody else has, even if your thing might get you to paradise, my dean, I'm believing, will get me higher. Potentially, if that's what I believe. Zishan! Um, and, um, this is a tricky slope in, in Muslim-majority countries because yeah. then, you know, it, you always become like... Like, I've been in undergrad... Uh, I would have some some Hindu colleagues, and one of my friends would always like, and every was dropping home visit would tell him, Sumit, like become Muslim, man, before you die. This this every day. And now, like 10 years on, I feel like that's so offensive. Like, I mean, I feel <laughs> like, why would he? Why would he? Right? Mm-hmm. So I think this is did it work? That, no, of course oh. not. <laughs> I'm still but 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 I think it's uh it's very easy for the lay Muslim or like like the 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 the, uh, the uh, folks who go really off kilter in in our home countries about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little like I don't know what's the right like level. Like yes, you can say we're responsible if they don't know the dean, but then people just take it, you know, much more gung ho on this, and it becomes a problem then. So I will say there's a difference in trying to convince someone you should do it, you should do it, you should do it, you should do it, right? If you truly care for them, then yeah, you're probably going to do it. Uh, for a lot of people, a conversion is a type of conquest, psychologically, like a victory. It's also selfish, right? Because they're also like saying they're doing it for themselves, right? Because God will not Allah will not ask me that didn't you ask them. I found that it's more been a focus that... I will ask my neighbor or whatever to become Muslim because then I will not have to stand in front of God, of God to say like, oh, I didn't ask them. Well, Why that did... would be that would be a good selfish, right? If I'm going to be held to account before a law, right? Mm-hmm. Th- that would be a good selfish. But that I'm saying is a big question mark. Will we be held yep. to account? But the basic point being that uh, a lot of times we frame conversion as, as some sort of victory of goodness over evil, right? As opposed to this is what I truly believe is ahead, right? And I think this is also in our contemporary era that everyone is so alienated from everyone else that our relationships are also far more looser, you know, than even think of the friendships that you had in childhood compared to the types of relationships we have now that we're often not even comfortable telling people that they're doing something just blatantly harmful for themselves. Sabrine. Um, didn't we just have this conversation a couple of days ago where, or three years ago, where you said, don't share the information and then you're sharing the information and it gets rejected and oh. then they push away. Like, what if, like, like you said about the, the 99 to one where my sisters were like, oh my God, no. Or my mom's like, no way. And, but one of my sisters was like, you're not supposed to be telling us this. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Part. Actually, no. I am supposed to be sharing this knowledge with you. Anyway, oh. it just like they, it pushes them away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, if it's going to push someone away, 
you don't want to give them anything that's going to push them away from a law, right? Uh, if they're going to use it as an excuse to run away, that's different, right? You know, and so so the basic point being that <clears throat> there's still some responsibility collectively for us to share collectively with everyone else. And this is the middle ayah of the second surah, that the prophet, peace be upon is a witness over us. We are a witness over everyone else. Shayla. So, um, ah, timer went off. So I got distracted. Sure. Um, I was going to say, um, I think we're like in this society, I don't know, Shayla, if you can hear us. I think you're breaking up. Passed agreement to like not try. How about now? Uh, right now, spot. you're right now. You're completely clear. Okay, so um, that there's this like tacit agreement to not discuss religion um, or politics, so that you can operate. Yeah, like so that you know at work, so that you can focus on your work, or you know in your family relationships, so that you can not be, you know, in constant argument with those your loved ones who are of a different religion. So I don't know. It's something that I struggle with myself because I do want to share so much with my family, um, but I feel like I, I just can't because mm -hmm. it would push them away from me. And, you know, then I wouldn't even be able to like model Islam in front of them if they're rejecting me altogether and they're not around me. Oh, right? totally. So it's, it's a tough situation. It is. I mean, and Dawah itself is a skill, right? There's an art to it. Uh, uh, then most people do the opposite of of the skill and do turn a lot of people away. I remember back in undergrad, there were a bunch of guys that did what I called guerrilla datwa, where they would surround a person until that person would say the shahada. And they wouldn't let him out of their circle, right? And it'd be a complete stranger, you know? And yeah, probably not a very wise approach. You know. I mean, if we just put ourselves in those, I mean, we've all probably encountered like missionaries, right? That are oh, trying yeah. to convert us. And how do we feel about that? Right? Like, it's the same thing. And, you know, how do we feel about them thinking that we're not going to go to heaven? Mm -hmm. Like, I think well, it's, I, mean, um, I welcome the discussion, but that's probably me because I'm a theology professor, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, so again, it's yeah. uh, the bigger point that I'm raising is it is a question of what level of responsibility do each and every one of us have individually collectively we absolutely do have this responsibility and it doesn't seem to be as much of an individual responsibility and we also don't seem to see this among the sahaba where all the sahaba were calling people to allah some were doing a lot of the calling right uh most did not seem to be doing very much calling except within their own tribes maybe and so there's probably something related to the differences of human personalities, you know. So I went to an iftar um, this past weekend um, at this Turkish American Cultural Center, and they're known for like sponsoring these like interfaith events. And it was, totally. you know, an interfaith iftar. And they gave, you know, a basic presentation on the pillars of Islam. And it wasn't done in a way, you know, and like, this is how we fast and this. And it was like presented in a nice educational way. Yeah. And it wasn't, at least I didn't think that it was done in an overly aggressive way 
trying to convert everybody there. It was just like, hey, this is what we believe. This is mm-hmm. what we do. And I thought it was done very well. Yeah, the uh, uh, that's exactly the point, right? That these things can be done. Because again, think of the package that is the profit piece be upon him, right? Uh, there are times where he was very firm and blunt, but his overall personality from everyone's perspective was once was one of softness and compassion. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Zainab. You're on mute. I don't know if you're speaking right now. I'm sorry, did you call me? Yeah, I think you raised your hand, no? Yes, Um. so just, yeah, I, I just wanted to say to this point of like, going out of our way to kind of like spread dawa, you know, like by vocalizing it, especially to friends and family and those closest to us. I feel like when it comes to those people more closest to us and it will cause tension if it's something that's brought up or you can tell the other person doesn't really want it. I feel like that's when we really have to practice more. So the concept of spreading dawa through our character and through our actions and the way we carry ourselves because I feel like a lot of the time when someone does find interest in Islam or is curious about Islam through another person, it's more so how that Muslim is living their life, not necessarily that person, that Muslim coming up to them and saying, this is what we believe and this is what we do and this is why we do it. Yeah, totally, totally, totally agree. We had a student, I don't remember if I talked about this in a previous year's class, uh, who became Muslim and then he joins the MSA group chat and what was his first question? He'd been Muslim for two weeks. Where's the nearest Zabiha restaurant? And then, like, when I saw this, I was like, he's been Muslim for two weeks. Who told him even the word Zabiha, right? And he's on Devon, so he should at least know that all the restaurants are Zabiha. But anyway, that's beside the point. Zishan. So I think uh, your favorite topic on celebrity scholars, right? So yes. <laughs> um how do you politely tell someone that, you know, uh, scholars are all like, no, you should go out and do dawa and like do the gorilla, gorilla version of this and everyone's gung-ho on it. What's a pleasant way to say like, yeah, that's not going to be effective or so forth, because then it becomes like, no, you're wrong. And so well, then, experience, at, at that point, you just leave the conversation, right? Left. <laughs> I mean, uh, I have no problem saying that's the dumbest approach I can, you know, I could probably imagine short of just walking around speaking in Arabic to English speakers, you know, and then say, we gave them the message, right? <laughs> now, one thing to uh, explore, however, that's fascinating is people who became interested in Islam, but just by listening to recitation. And so Ari Abdul Basit, Abdul Samad, it is said of him, 500 people became Muslim by listening to his recitation. I'm personally not fond of his recitation. You know, I mean, that's not blasphemous to say, but many people did. And I've had friends, I've had students in the past where that was their original intro. And the bigger point that I'm raising, which is similar to what we're speaking about, the personality of the prophet, peace be upon him, is that you have to give people beauty and uh, package the message in beauty as opposed to just this abstract point. Yeah. But that's a whole separate discussion. Our discussion, however, is just about this issue of salvation. Or tomorrow, inshallah, we're going to take it a step further about coveting, especially between genders. 
tomorrow we'll have the discussion, fun discussion, more directly about genders. And then we will be just two ayahs away from the big one, 434, about, about which many things have been said. Maybe I'll fall asleep that day too. All right. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah ta'ala word you all. And we will continue tomorrow, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.